Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Read from John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is, is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have <clears throat> all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I hope you all had a great Christmas and uh, got the presents you were hoping for. <clears throat> I'm wondering, um, what's the most memorable Christmas present you've ever received? Is there one, two, three that are really stick out through the ages, most memorable? And as you think about that, what's more important to you, the gift or the gift giver? My, my favorite gift, most memorable anyway, was in third grade I received Fort Apache. Uh, now, what we'd do in those days is we'd go through the Sears catalog and look at all the toys, and I saw Fort Apache, <clears throat> and I wanted that, and I couldn't believe it in Christmas morning when I went down and I opened up the package, and there it was. And uh, I don't know if I thanked my parents for it or not, but I quickly threw aside all the other gifts and started building it, putting the pieces of the force together, and then they had the stockades on the side, and you could put the little cavalrymen up in the stockades looking out, and they had a little log cabin in the middle and a, a plastic fireplace, and you, you put a pot over it that could cook. It, it was really great. <clears throat> it was so great that I brought it to school for show and tell, and I happily skipped recess in order to put it together to show the class. Again, I don't know if I ever thanked my parents. So, did I get enraptured with the gift or the gift giver? How about you? Do you get enraptured with the gift or the gift giver? And since we're in church, I'm sure we all hope we would say the gift giver. But let's not put aside the gift that quickly. Because that gift, when it is enjoyed, speaks mightily of the gift giver. For instance, if every kid in my third grade class longed for Fort Apache. Imagine if they wished that they received Fort Apache, but they didn't find it under their tree, and I come in and show and tell my Fort Apache, just think what those kids thought of my parents. It must have been 
man, he has the greatest parents. On the other hand, if I took that gift and put it aside, never put it together, never showed it to my class, what, what does my class think about my parents? They ask me, what, what did you get for Christmas? I say, nothing special. They'll probably think of my parents, oh, they're nothing special. Uh, in his book, Desiring God, Dr. Piper says, takes the Westminster Shorter Catechism question about the chief end of man, which says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. <clears throat> but Piper changes one word in that and says, the chief end of man is to, enjoy, is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. You see, if we enjoy, we experience, we, we live out the gifts that God has given us, and they see a peace and a joy and a foundation in our lives and a purpose, they will look at our gift giver and perhaps say that, is a great father. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, bring us into the, to these great truths this morning that uh, we, we cannot convey. Words cannot uh, convey. But your spirit can. Lord, if you just give us a small measure of the truth of these words, if you bring that into our lives, we, we would be transformed this morning. We pray to that end. Amen. So what we're going to do is, is look at the gifts that he's given us in the glory of Christ so that we might glorify him by enjoying those gifts. And we're going to look at, at three in particular. One is go back and, and look at the, the word, the logos and all that we get from the Logos. Then we're going to look at the incarnation. God became man. And look at the gifts there. And then at the glory that he specifies as grace and truth. So we want to, uh, as this morning's passage starts, it says, and the word became flesh. And that reminds us to go back to the verse 1 where it introduces the word. We've been calling it by its Greek, uh, the Lagos. So, in the beginning was the Lagos, and the Lagos was with God, and the Lagos was God. And just to review from a few weeks back, to the Hebrew, the Lagos was the Word, and the Word of God was equivalent to God. So, John was sending the message to the Jewish people that this Logos, who becomes flesh, Jesus, was the Word of God, was the manifestation of God, was God. To the Greek, the Logos was the principle of life that they sought, that principle, that logic of life that would put everything together. It was what created life. It gave us purpose, gave us life and light that John unveils in the intermediate verses. Augustine, who lived in the, who spanned the 4th and 5th centuries, 
had been a Greek philosopher before his conversion. He had been a Neoplatonist. He was enraptured with Platonism. And he writes in his biography, his autobiography, The Confessions, he says this. You know, when I was studying a philosophy, I, I, I knew all about the, the logos uh, that was God. It created the universe. I, I knew this principle, but I never read in the philosophers and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what Augustine had been seeking his whole life, he discovered, was not simply a philosophical principle, but it was a person, Jesus Christ, who is all of those things. See, one of the things that separates Jesus from uh, all of the other religious leaders is that he doesn't just show the way he is the way. He doesn't just point us to a light. He is the light. He doesn't teach us about life. He is the life. He doesn't just say this is the steps to have eternal life. He is the resurrection and the life. Those are the claims of Jesus Christ. And this verse brings this together. The Lagos has come, the Word has come, and the Word became flesh in Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He is the light. He is the life. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. We find all of that in Christ. The question is, are we experiencing that in a relationship with Jesus Christ or are we looking at him simply as another teacher who's showing us the way? It's through that relationship where we begin to enjoy what he gives us. And by enjoying that, we glorify God. The passage continues. The word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt or tabernacled among us. I'm very disappointed that so few English translations capture what John is trying to say in these words. Because the word we see in our Bible, dwelt, translates the word pitched our tent, or he pitched his tent, or he tabernacled. Now, that word tabernacle is filled with meaning for the Jewish people because it spoke of the time when Israel had been freed from their slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, and they were out in the wilderness, and God gives them the law, and part of that law is to build a tabernacle to build a tent where God's presence would reside in a special way. And underneath that, in that tabernacle, there would be the holy place where the, the priests would serve and offer their sacrifice. And then there was a curtain between that holy place and the holy of holies where God dwelt. The tabernacle was the presence of God, Yahweh, in the midst of the people. And so John is saying here that Jesus has come to live 
in our presence, just as the Shekinah glory of God dwelt in that tabernacle. God in the flesh came and lived among us. Now, there are some religions that see Jesus merely as a teacher. There's others that say, well, he has a divine quality about him, but he's not Yahweh God. He's not Yahweh. Well, this passage is pointing to the fact that he is. He is the Yahweh who resided in the special presence in that tabernacle. He has now come to earth to live among us. John is continuing a theme. He runs through this book. It starts in John 1.1, the word was God. He tabernacled among us. Chapter 2 says, Jesus says, the temple, which was also where God's presence was in a physical building, that Jesus' body is the temple. And he weaves this thread of divinity of Christ till the biggest skeptic, where we got the term Doubting Thomas, the biggest skeptic, sees the resurrected Jesus and says, My Lord and my God, he has come to live among us. Jesus was 100% God, 100% human. That's the incarnation. God in the flesh. And the Bible reveals that God didn't just come down as a grown man in a flash of lightning. What we celebrate at Christmas is the way that Jesus came to this earth as an infant, dependent upon a mother and father for his very life. And Jesus grew up just as the rest of us do. John 1.18, it continues, it says, 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, God had manifestations of himself in the Old Testament. Genesis 2 says that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Moses saw the back of God. One of the clearest revelations is in Isaiah 6 where the prophet Isaiah sees the angelic realm around God and his robe fills the temple and they're praising him. But each of these was momentary and very partial. God is spirit. He is omnipresent. No one can see God. But here it says, Jesus Christ was the manifestation of the Father. He is the best picture, the best representation we will ever have of the Father. If we want to know God, we need to know Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see him living out his life just as God the Father would have, in perfect Holiness, justice, mercy, and grace. One of his disciples, Philip, once asked him, Lord, show us the Father, and, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip? 
even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is that perfect representation. And in him, we behold the glory of God. Now, we've seen a lot of glory of God in creation itself. Uh, Psalm 19 cries out that we, we behold the glory of God in creation. We see his power manifested. We see his beauty. We see his goodness. And as he worked in history, we saw his justice. We saw his miracles, especially in freeing uh, the Jews from, from Egypt. We have seen a glory whereby we fall down before him and we praise him for his majesty, his grandeur, that he is an awesome God, worthy to be worshipped. But what Jesus brings us is an added dimension of humility. Kings have glory. They are to be obeyed. They are to be followed. But the greatest king is one who would be willing to become like us, putting aside that glory. Henry Nouwen was a renowned professor at Notre Dame, Yale, Divinity School, Harvard. He'd written books that sold 7 million copies, uh, translated into 30 different languages, he was a speaker known around the world. And once he traveled to Toronto for a wedding. And while there, he stayed at this home, home for those severely mentally disabled. He decided after being there that he would live there the rest of his life. And he spent the last 10 years of his life there. That's something that sets him apart from every other renowned professor and author. One who had this glory, but he humbled himself to live among those disadvantaged, those who were so needy. He poured his life out into them. Of course, that pales in comparison to what God did in Jesus Christ, who was God himself with all of that glory, he took off his robes of glory and he came among the disadvantaged. He came among the broken to not only live with us, but to suffer abuse from us so that he could have us. That's humility. That's a glory that's beyond our comprehension. Consider the story of the, the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. God told Habakkuk the prophet, he said, I want you to marry a prostitute. Didn't quite understand that, but he married a prostitute. That prostitute then left him and sold herself out to man after man after man, pushing him aside, wanting nothing to do with him, until finally she was so overused, she was taken as a slave and sold in the slave market. Habakkuk went to that market 
and bought her out to bring her back to himself. That story, God asked Habakkuk to do that in order to picture his love for Israel. And it also pictures his love for you and me. That is humility. That is glory. God became man. Sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? It's too good to be true, too unimaginable to be possible. If such a story were actually true, we would expect that uh, this event would transform the world, that it would meet people and change their lives, free drug addicts. We would think that people would maybe write countless books about him or, or, or give so much money to, so that the message could be spread across the world or that, that uh, multitudes, multitudes of books would be written about him and perhaps even uh, the calendar uh, would change around his coming. Of course, all of that has happened. But John didn't see all of that. He saw the transformed lives. So he still wants us to know this isn't a chimerical story. It's history. It really happened. So he says, we beheld his glory. Now he could be talking about himself, his brother James, and Peter, whom Jesus brought up to the Mount of Transfiguration and right before their eyes, his his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ was revealed. He could be saying, I saw him in his glory. I am a witness. He could be referring to the we, to all the believers who saw the miracles, who beheld the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And Jesus said his resurrection would determine whether the words he spoke were true or not. And he rose from the dead. But John is pointing to evidence in history. And so he continues, and this is why he talks about John the Baptist. He says, John bore witness about Jesus, and he cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. In, in a nutshell, what he's saying is, John the Baptist testifies. John was so well-respected, so well-loved by the people that even the religious leaders dare not criticize him. <clears throat> even Josephus wrote about him in his Jewish history analogs. His testimony was powerful in that day and should be powerful in this day. And so John says... This isn't a made-up story. This is history. <clears throat> the first century was just as skeptical as we are today. They had to excuse, make excuses for Jesus' miracles. They had to say it was done by demons. See, they never said, his critics never said, those were fake miracles. No, they had to attribute those miracles to a demonic forces. 
because they couldn't deny them. What we're saying this morning is not a fairy tale. It's true. The passage continues. We have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what he's saying here is, everything we've talked about in Jesus' glory, the power of his miracles, the wonders of his teaching, the humility of Jesus, there's more. And John specifies two aspects to his glory, grace and truth. Verses 18 and 19 unpack this more fully. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, notice what he's saying here is the law came through Moses, Grace and truth came through Christ. So for us to understand the grace and truth Jesus is talking about, we have to juxtapose that to the Mosaic law. So what was the Mosaic law? Well, remember, Moses went up Mount Sinai. He received the Ten Commandments, and he received a lot more than the Ten. And you can break those laws down into two camps. The laws of the sacrificial system and the roles the law of rules and regulation. And so on that mountain, Moses received instructions for the building of the tabernacle where the presence of God would be and reside among them. But we cannot approach a holy God in our sin. And so that law also included the sacrificial system. It talked about the Passover, where the blood of the lamb is put on the door so that the angel of judgment would pass over that household that was covered by the blood of the Lamb. The day of atonement, where the atonement for sin was made to cover that year. The sin offerings and the guilt offerings, all to take away our sin, so that by this grace in the Old Testament, we could approach God. But the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats, do not take away sin. A goat can't pay the penalty for the sin of a person. And so these sacrificial laws were really a shadow, a picture, a foretelling of the true grace that would come in Jesus Christ. For he, as a man, could take my place as a man. If he was sinless, he could take my sin. My judgment could fall on him. Of course, that leaves the rest of you in your sin. Unless he was more than a man. Unless he was infinite in his personhood. Unless he was God himself. Then, as a man, he could die for each person an infinite number of persons. And that's what he did. He is the grace that fulfills the sacrificial laws. Do we get this? 
do we live in that grace in appreciation for what Christ has done for us? Martin Luther wrote something that really I hear myself in. He said, Doubt not that you, Bruce, are the one who killed Christ. Your sins certainly did. And when you see the nails driven through his hands, be sure that you are pounding. And when the thorns pierce his brow, know that they were your evil thoughts. Consider that if one thorn pierced Christ, you deserve 100,000. Do you believe you deserve that 100,000? But Christ took it for you. Now you're experiencing the grace that Christ offers. And truth comes through Christ. Remember the Old Testament law, it's the sacrificial laws, but also the rules and the regulations. In fact, uh, Jewish tradition says that there were 613 commandments in Torah. And the Mishnah has a multitude of rabbis discussing those commandments and then meticulously applying them, showing you exactly how you are to obey each one of those commandments. And the burden that fell upon the shoulders of the people was unbearable. And Jesus knew that. And he said, I come to lift that burden. And he's, he talked about these laws and he said, what a weight you are putting on your disciples. You strain at a gnat, but you swallow the camel. What he's saying is, is you might tie the mint in cumin, but you forget justice and mercy. You are missing what God was meaning in the law. And so Christ comes to bring the truth, and the truth will set you free. It will relieve you of that burden. So what is Jesus talking about? He brings the truth. What he brings us is the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. So that in our hearts, we desire to follow the commands of God. Don't feel them as a burden, but feel them as a way of life toward joy and fulfillment. You know, there's a, a cartoon I remember of Dennis the Menace, and he's, he's sitting facing the corner in his chair, and there's a bubble over his head, and it says, I may be sitting on the inside, but I, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> and that's what Jesus saw happening in the law. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, you say don't commit adult murder. But I say, you don't have it on the inside. Because if you're angry with your brother, if you're feeling that on the inside, you've committed murder in your heart. And you say, we don't commit adultery. But what's going on inside your heart? If you have lust in your heart, you're committing adultery. And so Jesus is trying to bring the truth through that grace so that law isn't external to us, but it's reaching down and transforming our hearts so that our hearts beat with Christ. And Christ 
ultimately said there are two laws. When he's asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And there's a second one like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus said, all of the laws are fulfilled in those two. I want to grab your heart because the Mosaic law was given to be an expression of those two loves. How do I love God? The commandments. How do I love my neighbor? The commandments. And so Jesus is taking the external and bringing it into our hearts, taking the letter of the law and making it a spirit to live by the principles of the law, not by rules and regulations, but by loving God, by loving our neighbor. And if we have that love in our hearts and we believe God is good, then we're going to see his commandments as the way we want to live. We want to love God. We want to love our neighbors. How do we do it? Listen, not only to the heartbeat of Christ, listen to the words of Christ and let him lead us. We are not God we do not know all of the expressions of love. But he does. Grace and truth. You see, they come together. It's the grace of God we find at the cross of Christ that melts our hearts to help us realize how much we are loved. And when we realize how much we are loved, our hearts start to love back. And when we love God, we will want to know his truth and follow his truth. The glory of God is magnified in person of Jesus Christ. And in the gifts that Christ has brought us as the Logos, as the God with us, in grace and in truth. You see, we're called to glorify God. We can't add to his glory. What, what can you add to God? But what we can do is live out the beauty of the Christian life. Enjoy the gifts that Christ has given us. And then the world around will see we have something they desire. And we have it because our Lord Jesus Christ has brought it to us. And they will want him and glorify him. Let us glorify God by enjoying him forever. Our Father, we thank you for your word that is so rich. And again, I know what's been communicated this, this morning hopefully scratches the surface. But Lord, may, uh, may your spirit take what is said, speak individually to where each individual is, precisely to their questions and lead each of us deeper in our journey toward you. Amen.